everybody. This is the Makers of Minnesota podcast, and you are listening to it today. I am coming from my home, as we have been since the coronavirus has happened. I am pleased to keep doing the Makers of Minnesota podcast. It's funny, you know, I've been doing it for three years now, and sometimes I think, oh, you know, is it relevant? Is anybody even listening anymore? And then just when I think that, you guys send tons of texts and emails, and the listener numbers do well. Um, I had an opportunity to check in with Carla uh, Mertz from Iron Shoe Farms, and she was saying how many people have mentioned the podcast. So thank you guys for supporting all the makers that we talk to. We have some great podcasts coming up. The podcast that dropped last week for Crisp and Green was just so relevant about like how restaurants are coping in this time. And this podcast, I think, will be the same. I am talking with Alex Laudner. She is a social media influencer strategist. She's a friend of mine. And we've worked together on a a couple of social media influencer campaigns. And right when the whole COVID-19 business started, that industry changed a lot because these influencers were in spaces like the beauty industry, the food industry, the entertainment industry, some of these industries that have been most impacted in the coronavirus. So Alex, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Coming to you from my attic, hiding from my family. Okay, you're not alone in that. So if there's any disruptions or anybody needs a snack, that's happened before. <laughs> Little kids are yeah. like, Mom, I need a snack. Like she's like, yes, I'm recording will a be podcast. Fine. <laughs> um, Alex, how did you get into this business of social media influencers? And how would you describe the business? Like, what is it for people that don't know? Sure. So social media marketing... Um, is separate in my mind from influencer marketing. Social media marketing is where you would, the brand itself taps into social media like Instagram or Facebook to promote their product. Tapping into influencers is actually gleaning their followership to introduce to your brand. And the way I got into it is I've been a food writer uh, for about 20 years now for a variety of publications. I've been a freelancer for that long for a variety of publications locally and just naturally started meeting different people as more and more of the food influencer market got big, bigger here in the Twin Cities around five or so years ago. And it just felt like a very exciting new world to me. I'd been doing the writing part for so long that it was really fun and exciting to to start something new. It felt like a, a pretty natural progression. I had brands and restaurants that I knew, and I was meeting more and more influencers and putting the two together, putting the right influencer with the right brand just felt like a nice, nice uh, natural progression. How big is the industry of influencers nationally? And is Minnesota a player in that? Or are we so small? No, we're very small still. Uh, nationally, it's huge. I don't have numbers, but it's in the billions as far as how much money is going into. I think the last numbers we have are from 2018. I, I want to say two, but that's mm-hmm. don't quote me on that. But sure. yeah, in, in Minnesota, one of the reasons that I'm actually making sure that I stay local in Minnesota is because of how small it is. I What I bring to the table is I actually know these folks personally. I've had coffee with them. I've chatted with them. I've met them at events. And so for a PR firm, for example, it's very daunting to look on Instagram and say, I I don't know how to find the right person for my brand or for my client. Well, I know people off the top of my head because I know if someone is 
moving to a new house or if someone is planning a trip, I just know them on a personal level and I can't do that nationally. So that's what I like about what I do is it's a very small, very personal touch compared to the the large in like four card or, or those marketing firms that are huge and, and do a great job with what they're doing. But um, I like the personal level, the intimacy that I bring to it. And you're a small part shop, like you're just a one person shop, you go out, you create these relationships with these influencers, and then people can engage you to con- make the connections and promote exactly. their brand. So an example uh, that we worked on together, do you want to just talk a little bit about Bub's Aussie Pies? Because we <laughs> did a campaign for them together. They were wonderful. Yes. So what one of the ways that we connect influencers and brands is through events, which of course We'll segue into how that's changed. But what we did is the influencer opening. And what we saw, what I saw for a few years is that when a restaurant opened, if we're going to use restaurants as an example, when a restaurant opened, they would do the soft opening and the media opening and influencers would be invited to the media opening. And that really didn't work for anybody because influencers have a very different need than you and I did, you and I as, as food writers do. And so I started understanding that there was a need to to explain the difference. And what we did for Bubs is we chose the right time of the day because we know when there's good lighting. And I invited, uh, I don't even remember, were there 10 or 13 people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they they loved it. The food, they did, Bubs did such a great job of making the food beautiful uh, besides being delicious. And people really enjoyed it. And when, when an influencer, if you bring the right people into the room, people that you know will be a good fit and will authentically enjoy that particular brand, that particular restaurant, it really shows in, in the kind of posts they do and in the kind of engagement they have with their audience then. And I, I think Bubs was definitely a great example of that. Yeah, they were really happy. They got, Mm -hmm. so what Alex, you know, when you go to media events, sometimes like, if a food reviewer is there, they're going there to talk with the chef, to learn more yep. about the food, to get intricate about the menu. The influencer is going to that same event, and all their job is is to uh, taste the food and see if they like it and then share it with their followers. So they're trying to take pictures. They're lifting the, the dishes up while the reviewer's trying to eat them. It was just kind <laughs> of funny how some of those events would just be a little bit of a disaster. And then... Yeah when we went to the Bubs event, like it was literally custom for that influencer and they all left with a gift card and a bag of goodies. And really we set it up so that everything about that event was catered to them. And it was really successful for them. Now the coronavirus happened literally a week later and everybody mm-hmm. shut down. They do have a to-go window. So they've been really able to continue to use the mojo that we created from that influencer event. But Alex, how do you see the influencer market changing in light of coronavirus? Right. Yeah. So uh, there's change just like with every other industry out there. But even before the pandemic, data showed that uh, consumers are looking to social media for information and recommendation. I call it the digital front porch. We value our friends and neighbors' opinions more than a direct ad. And that's been happening for a handful of years now. And now more than ever, people are online. And so we're seeing smaller brands that maybe didn't buy into the idea of social media marketing or influencer marketing, or were for whatever reason scared off of the idea of trying something new, 
everyone is looking to social media and to influencers as a way to reach current and hopefully new audiences. Can you talk and, about uh, <laughs> the difference between a micro influencer and a macro influencer and where you see strengths in both? Yes, that's a very interesting question because that changes state to state and and region to region. Mm -hmm. So in the Midwest, I would consider a macro influencer, so a larger influencer to be anybody over maybe 35 to 50,000. Mm -hmm. That's followers. That's a that's a large number for us in Minnesota. A micro influencer would be anyone in the 5,000 and less range. I tend to not really work with anyone who doesn't have at least a thousand followers, but I really encourage brands to look outside of the followership number and look at engagement because the smaller influencers tend to engage. There's obviously exceptions, but the smaller influencers tend to engage a lot more with their audience. Obviously, they have the bandwidth to do it. You can respond to 12 comments better than you can respond to a thousand comments. So it's really about engagement and excitement that that particular influencer brings to the product. In the beginning of Instagram, everybody was amassing followers, right? And there were <laughs> services you mm -hmm. could hire to get followers for you. Is that still right. a thing? It is. It is still a thing. And there's, it's, it's not only just buying followers, you can buy engagement, you can participate in pods, which is basically an agreement, anywhere from 20 to 100 influencers agree to always comment on each other's uh, posts. And it's, it's exhausting, quite frankly, people spend hours and hours just engaging, but it's not authentic. None of those people are actually going to turn into customers. And so I always encourage influencers to just stay away from any of those services, always have authentic and organic growth. But unfortunately, it's a cottage industry that finds a way, finds, continues to find, to find new ways of sort of bucking the system. And it's very attractive. If you're just starting out and what you really want to do is work with brands and somebody sends you an email that says for $10, you can have a thousand followers. That's I understand the appeal, but just don't do it. Yeah, I I can understand the appeal too. But mm -hmm. I have a client that unbeknownst to me, turned on a service like that. And mm -hmm. I kept wondering why we were getting like, sexy <laughs> photos in our messaging. And, you know, we just we were getting followed by the weirdest people from Ukraine and Russia. Yeah. And I was like, what is happening? And finally, she was like, Oh, yeah, didn't I tell you I bought some followers? I was like, Oh, my gosh, please don't. That right. is not going to help our marketing strategy at all. No, especially from the brand side. From the influencer side, I see the attraction because brands, if, if brands are only looking at followership, they might hire you if you look like you have a lot of followers. Now, they won't hire you twice because they're not going to get the engagement they want from robots. But for a brand, the only reason a brand wants followers on social media is to hopefully convert them into business. And that's just not going to happen from a robot farm in Turkey. Do you have feelings about whether for a brand, an Instagram story is better or a post in the feed? For a brand, I think both are great. Stories, everything in social media changes rapidly. And stories a year ago, I was not paying attention to stories. Stories are very engaging now. People have a shorter and shorter attention span. And I 
think that the wonderful thing about stories is you can tell your story. So as a brand, especially as a maker, as a small maker, no one is really going to engage with a long, drawn-out post and where the copy tells your entire life history. But through stories and through making fun content like that, they will. So it's a it really does has a different purpose to it. Do you use tools to, so you've engaged a brand and you've got a campaign that's going and you've got 10 influencers. Do you use special tools to capture the pictures, the stories, the content? Because how do you know who's engaging? Right. I, I don't use any tools. That's, again, that is my job is to be very personal. I will often have an event that goes until 10 o'clock at night and I stay up until two o'clock in the morning capturing those stories that I know are going to come out right away. Stories live for 24 hours. So I do spend the next 24 hours making sure I obviously have my list of people I know who to look at and I just capture them all as, as much as I can. We are pivoting away from brands even before, or I'm sorry, from events, even before COVID-19. So it's a lot easier to capture it when you just have ambassadors than, than event guests. But no, I don't use any technology and I resist doing that. I want that personal touch for my clients. And when you mention a brand ambassador, what is that? Right. So an ambassador is someone that you would engage with as a brand. You would engage with them for a longer than the one shot. So for an event, you would have maybe 10 people coming to your, let's say, restaurant opening. And you really can't have too many expectations of them. They're your guest and you hope that they post. If someone is an ambassador, you've brought them on to promote your brand, service, restaurant, what have you. And there's an agreement. Sometimes it's for payment and we can talk about how that's changed. But it's someone who has made a commitment to your brand for any length of time, whether it's a month, three months, 10 posts, three posts, there's an understanding. Okay. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that. How do these influencers yeah. get paid? And is it all, I think a lot of brands think, oh, I'll just send this person a free jar of peanut butter and then they'll send, right, do a post for me. Right. Well, so everything has changed. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> let's right. call it pre-COVID and post-COVID. Oh, gosh. Right. Um, PC. Well, no, that doesn't really work. So right now, a lot of influencers are trying to figure out what they can do to help. They have brands they love, they have restaurants they love, they have makers they love, and they want to help. And I say those who can't heal or sew post because yeah. that's in some people's minds, that is the only thing they can do. So I am now approaching influencers who a month, two months ago, I would have felt would have been insulting to approach them with a trade, but because they were maybe were valued at $300, $500 a post, and I wouldn't have approached them with a small trade. Mm -hmm. Well, now they're coming to me and saying, who can I help? Do you have any brands who need help? And I have brands coming to me uh, through you or through other people that are saying, we don't have a budget. Uh, maybe we never did, but we don't have a budget, and but we have our product, and we would love to send it out to people and see if they like it, if they would be willing to help us with brand awareness. Do you, One of the campaigns that Alex and I are working on is um, this woman named Jillian McGarry. We interviewed her on the podcast. She has a business called Mostly Made, and she makes mostly made items that are frozen, like lasagna, enchiladas, and you assemble and finish them. Um, she approached us. 
her and Pam Powell from The Salad Girl were working on a local movement of Minnesota makers and how to engage people and how to get people to try their products. So I called Alex and said, I've got, you know, Mostly Made, I've got Salad Girl, and I've got this three Linetti sisters meatballs that are clients. And can we put a campaign together and engage a couple people and we'll send them the products just to help keep reinforcing the idea of buying local. And Alex was very generous in helping us put that together. And, you know, none of these brands have used influencers before. So it was a way to kind of introduce them too to the power of that so that hopefully when we all get back on our feet, that might be something that they engage in long term. Alex, when you pick an influencer that works with you or a brand ambassador, like what kinds of qualities are you looking for? And do they ever turn down something that they don't feel is a fit for them? Yes, they absolutely turn down things that are not a fit for them. If they didn't, I would not be as confident working with them. Mm-hmm. I What I do is, again, going back to the personal touch, and because I know them, I know who is going to be interested in a specific product before I even really call them. And it's a, it's a time-saving device. I don't need to search through Instagram. I already have people in mind as soon as a client calls me and asks me about their product. And yes, they they do turn it down if it's not a good fit, which I really appreciate and respect. It doesn't happen to me a lot because, again, I already know them. So I would have possibly already known that in advance and I just wouldn't have reached out. But like I said, in the last couple of months, I've been reaching out to people who normally would never just do for trade. And now they're offering free or for trade post. For trade means you send me the product and I do a post about it if I like the the product. And Many influencers have pivoted away from that a long time ago. They're at engagement numbers that justify being paid, not just doing it for trade. But again, everything went backwards two months ago. And now those ex- those same influencers are happy to offer publicity, uh, social media publicity for trade. And because they want to help the brands they love, they want those brands to be there when we come out of this. And Hopefully, like you said, when we all come out of the other end, I, I strongly believe that any brands that doubted or didn't understand the power of social media influencer marketing before will see that even at full price, even at full rates, influencer marketing is always a wise investment. I I believe that it will be even more social media marketing and influencer marketing will be even more productive and and important than ever when we come out of this. When we work, I sold radio, I've sold direct mail, I've sold newspaper advertising, I've pretty much sold everything. And um, we would have like, you know, if you did this schedule, your return on investment wasn't going to come until someone had heard the commercial three times. Like we had all these uh, metrics that we used. Are there metrics for like, let's say you pay a $300 a brand ambassador $300 to do a campaign can you like, is it one-to-one? Like you get $300 in sales. Is it more than that? Do you have any of those kind of metrics? Because I would imagine so one, sometimes it blows out of the water. Yes. And so one thing brands do need to keep in mind is that influencers are an extension of the marketing and brand awareness efforts, not a sales channel. Got so it. one challenge I do have is when clients are looking for direct ROI and direct sales, which is not the purpose of influencer marketing. Just like you can't get direct ROI from a billboard on the side of the highway. Mm-hmm. It's really about brand awareness. There are several ways of seeing that. The most obvious is is the brand or the brand platforms growing. So 
for example, I just worked with someone who in a week gained 15 followers. And that does not sound like a, a lot, but they had well below a thousand followers for this brand. And so even just that, you know that someone saw the story on an influencer's platform, was curious about the brand and went and followed the brand. So that's an indication of awareness. But unless you're doing things like coupons or deals or anything else that the brand, that the influencer can talk to their followers about, which is possible, you can do giveaways, you can do things like that. I really discourage brands from looking at it as for, for looking for the ROI. It's really just brand awareness. And it, it has always been the most um, economical way of getting brand awareness is through influencers versus traditional media. It's influencers really are the most logical choice in, in, to me in general, but especially during this time because of the, how economical it has always been. There, you're not going to get an ad like that in front of that many eyeballs for the same amount of money in, in, in traditional media. How important is it to align the influencer with your brand? So let's say, I, I don't know if you can give me an example, but some of these influencers have made their following, I'll just, I'm I'm just going to like, so some people have like sexy time and that's the way they've amassed their following. Other people are eaters on camera and that's the way they've amassed their following. Other people mm-hmm. do cooking videos. You know, how important is it to put the right brand with the right type of person? Because if you have like wholesome mommy product with sexy time lady, that's probably not the best fit, right? Right. And that's, I would say that's the number one thing to be, to be looking for is, is it the right influencer for the right brand? Sometimes that might surprise you who the right fit is, but yes, that's the number one thing you want to look at as a brand. Is this person the right fit for me? And I'll give you, I have many examples of how brands are doing it wrong (laughs) in approaching. So I have, I have influencers who for years, for example, were being sent six packs of beer by a PR firm representing a beer, a local beer brewer. Mm -hmm. And those influencers never, A, don't drink beer, or B, never once posted about beer. So why were they getting this beer sent to them? Well, because they are popular or they come up in articles when someone does a Google search. And so I see where the PR firms are finding these fits, but they're just not fits. And Actually, Steph, this morning, I got an email personally that says, we love your Instagram account, and we would love to send you a watch from our new men's collection, (laughs) because my name is Alex Lodner, and they clearly never looked at my account. Right, right. And so that happens. We all get those emails, and we just laugh and ignore them, but we, at the same time, when it's a local PR firm that's actually spending their clients' money to send product, the client is paying the PR firm and is paying for this product to be sent to the wrong influencer, that's when I get a little bit frustrated. And that's where I can come in and say, I know that those people have beautiful feeds and I know that they have large numbers. But if you look for the last three years, they've never posted anything remotely close to the product you're sending them and you're wasting money. Right, right. I've had a situation kind of similar, but it's with the radio show where, you know, a PR company will pitch me a pitch 
and it's their client. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I just had them on last week. <laughs> Perhaps mm-hmm. you know that if you were working your client appropriately. Right. I don't know. Right. And this is not a diss on PR firms. There, let me say that there are PR firms in town that are doing a spectacular job with this. So it's just it's hard because PR firms, marketing firms, they're doing a lot of things, a wide berth of things for their clients. They're getting them on your show. They're getting them into magazines, et cetera. I only work with influencers. So I've actually worked with PR firms where they're so overworked and I come in and I only do that little slice of the pie. I'm not interested in doing the other things they're doing. So I'm not competition to the PR firms. I will only come in and do the influencer part of it because I don't have to spend hours on Instagram. I already know who is going to be a good fit and who isn't. I know when people are trying to get pregnant. <laughs> you know, I know these folks. And so I know, no, don't, don't send champagne to her. She hasn't announced it yet, but she's, but she's pregnant. Right, so right. there's those kinds of things where I can save the brand and the PR firm a lot of time and money. Do you think that in times of coronavirus that we're spending more or less time on our social media channels? Well, more, hundred percent more. Um, again, there's graphs for that. There's data for that, but of course, a lot more, and we're shopping more. And there's two things that we know for a fact during this very uncertain time. People are online and people need to eat. So those two things have remained consistent and have grown. People are eating more and people are online more. And so for those who want to cook, they want to hear about makers, like the ones you work with, the local makers that you work with. And those who don't want to cook want to know which restaurants are serving curbside, for example. So I know There are many influencers in town who are really doing a service to their followers by constantly posting what restaurants are providing what, right? With Mother's Day coming up now, there's a handful of influencers who are constantly posting the menus for restaurants that are offering a Mother's Day takeout meal, and they're doing it free of charge. They're just doing it as a service to both the restaurant and to their followers. It's kind of funny when you think about it in some ways, because my radio partner, Stephanie March from The Weekly Dish, talks about service journalism. And she views her job at Minneapolis-St. Paul Magazine as providing the service package of what the reader wants. So the reader wants information about the place, they want some backstory, and then they want to know how to access them or how to buy, where to go, those kinds of things. In the past, we haven't really seen influencers in that service mode. We've seen them more in the show and tell mode. So I think it's really interesting that many of them are shifting and pivoting to become more of service, not journalists isn't the word, but service ambassadors, as it were, where, Mm -hmm. you know, in the beginning of this, there was so much information about who was converting to curbside, what they were offering when they were going to be open, their hours were changing, the days they were closed were changing. And many of the influencers were really continually posting about all these restaurants as a way to create information flow. Absolutely. And and you and I were both trying to keep up with that the first couple of days I was working around the clock for Eater Twin Cities trying to and it, it got to the point where it would have been easier to say who isn't pivoting in the restaurant world than who is. But the one of the reasons that influencers are doing so well right now and are such a great fit, uh, three main reasons. One is connection. Social media, by its nature, is just more intimate. It's a two-way conversation 
versus traditional media, which is in most parts a one-way communication. Mm -hmm. And right now we're all starved for contact and connection. So influencers offer that. The other is the ability to pivot. So many influencers are one, maybe two person shop if their husbands are their photographers <laughs> and start to finish. And so they can create content. They write copy. They push publish. You and I know what it's like to work with editors and to have to get approval from the editors, editors, editors. And this is very this influencers can turn around content very quickly in support of the brands that they love and work for. And it's it's just much easier to turn around that agile boat in, in a hurry compared to the barge that is traditional medium, um, traditional marketing machine. And that flexibility offered by influencers is key for messaging, like you said, that need to be adjusted in a dime. So now farmers markets are opening. Well, it takes time to write an article about that, but an influencer can put something up, can put up a story in 15 minutes if you need them to. And it is so, interesting because because of the way that farmers markets in particular will be operating, a story might be more useful because it will show how things are changing. It will show you like what the social distancing requirements are. It'll show you, are people wearing masks? Absolutely. And, and even if the, it can be even faster than that. So if, if you contact someone, an influencer that you like, and you say, I've decided to go ahead and offer my product at a farmer's market. Can you post this up by this afternoon? Because I'm going to be there tomorrow. They don't necessarily even have to go to the farmer's market to still put up a graphic or a story for you very, very quickly. I don't want to encourage people to wait till the last minute, but it is possible where it is not possible with, with traditional marketing. And uh, one advice I've been giving influencers is to try something off brand during this time. So where in the past, it was very much like, well, this is a great product and I love it, but it's not, I don't talk about beauty. I'm a food influencer or I'm a travel influencer. I don't talk about sports, wh whatever it is. Influencers are using this time, I think like most of us, to have, we, it's almost this newfound freedom of reinventing and rethinking what you're doing. And it's an opportunity to try different things. So if a if an influencer is willing to try something off brand, that brand might have a whole new audience that they wouldn't normally have a appeal to. So if I have a travel influencer and we reach out to her with a beauty product, because I know she's been thinking about doing that, then that beauty brand is now going to get a whole new audience that wouldn't have really worked a couple months ago. And and I actually have that example, but James Nord from A Drink with James, who I recommend everyone watch on YouTube, just talked about that exact example this week. So it's it's a really fun and exciting opportunity in a, in a tragic time. I wish it wasn't for this reason, but there are some really great things going on. I think it's interesting, too. The whole thing that you bring up, when I first started Stephanie's Dish on Instagram, I had a website, I had a following, you know, from the radio products, and all I posted on Stephanie's Dish was food pictures. Mm -hmm. It never occurred to me that uh, the reason a lot of the people followed me was because they wanted to hear what I had to say about those food pictures, or they wanted to hear the experience of when I ate, or when I had a dinner party, or what my dishes were like. Like, I just was so focused on the food shot. And as I've expanded my view of why somebody follows me and what their interests are, it's pretty varied. Like, 
They want to know about my 15 year old dog grandma. They want to know, <laughs> you know, where I got the cocktail shaker when I made my margarita last night that I videotaped. It's very much a connection with like online friends, I guess, is the best way to put it. I think if that's what you're seeing, then you're doing you're doing it right. Because if you have engaged your followership to the point where you're seeing good engagement, you know, I follow you because I want to see your boating trip around Croatia. Yep. <laughs> so if so if if you're seeing good engagement with those sort of what you would normally consider off brand, that tells me that whatever you're doing, you're doing it right. You have now engaged and you've created a community with your followers because they will follow you regardless of where your life sort of ebbs and flows. And I, and I realize that in a way I'm contradicting what I said earlier about how I can, how we want to make sure that it's the right fit, but there's still a right fit within that ebb and flow. Yeah, so, I think so. Right. And so again, if, if a travel agency reached out to you because they saw your pictures of your travels, that's one thing. If uh, men's watch <laughs> a uh, business reached out to you, then, you know, they clearly haven't looked at your, at your account. So there is pivoting, there is a more openness, but it still has to be within reason because again, you're wasting time and money. Anytime you reach out to an influencer that is so clearly not going, their followers are not going to be interested in your product. It's very interesting to me too, the amount of national products that I get in the health, really nutraceutical type industry, mm -hmm. like, I get all of the um, drink powders. I get all of the energy stuff. I get a lot of that. And that is personally pretty far away from what my brand is and what I would represent. I'm just as a right, cancer. But they have the money for it. They Those large brands have the money to basically, um, I think J James Nord says, uh, spray and pray. Yeah. They just send out a whole bunch of product to a whole bunch of names and they don't really spend a lot of time or effort trying to figure out if it's the right fit. It's it's, they have that budget, smaller makers, like the ones we're working with currently, I would, I do not want to waste their money regardless of what they told me their budget was. It's very important to me to, I'm very frugal with my brand's money. And, and so I, think... I want to make sure that they're going to get something for that investment of, even if it's just them driving to my house and dropping off some, Spice mix, that's money and effort and time. I want to make sure they get something for that. I would say, too, if you're a brand, like budget for what that packaging costs, budget for what a, what a, not just the packaging, but the mail, the delivery, the all of that, because those mm -hmm. are all marketing expenses. And I right. don't think people know, like you can write that off on your tax return <laughs> because those, products and those expenses go into the marketing of what you're doing and the sampling of what you're doing. They're not, there is a cost of goods to you. So to keep track of, of that. Right. And makers, I know that makers, a large percentage of their sales came from sampling in grocery stores and from farmer's markets, which are not happening. So that's one of the reasons that they have pivoted to us and to try and we're trying to get them promotion that they would normally get in person at Kowalski's. We're trying to get them that brand awareness through uh, influencers posts. Yeah. And that's a real opportunity right now. Talk to a brand and we hear this line all the time and you probably do too. We don't have a budget for that. And that line <laughs> is just, it's just not true. You have a budget if it's, it might be $50, but you have a budget for marketing or you wouldn't 
if you really truly don't have $50 for marketing or for even the cost of the pa- of the product to the influencer, then you might really want to rethink the marketing program. You have a marketing budget. I think the biggest problem is that they don't see influencers as an again an a uh, part of their marketing efforts, not their sales efforts or whatever else their budgets are. If they, whatever wherever they think they're putting their money, that if you look at influencers as a part of your marketing outreach, then there should be some budget for that. One thing I think too that sort of works for me. I love the brand ambassador program where you're more long term mm-hmm. with a client because then I know like what new products you have in the pipeline. I know a lot about your product. I know your goals and what you're trying to accomplish. If I run into someone that might be a like product and neither of you have big budgets, but together you might be able to do something like it's amazing. Once once I work with a brand, I really feel like I'm a, their employee in some respects. And I mm-hmm. treat it as such, like I work for them. So can I find opportunities in my daily living that I can help promote their product that would make sense, that would be maybe over and above what they've engaged me to do for that particular thing? Sometimes it's just, it's like anything else, right? It's who you know and connections and networking. And when you have a brand ambassador working for you, it's like a networker, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for most of the influencers on my roster, I would not recommend that if the influencer asked me, I would not they recommend that they become a brand ambassador just for trade. That's just a lot of work for them. And so most of the most of the influencers with numbers higher than, let's say, 5000 followers and with good engagement, they're going to require some type of payment per post. But again, that does not mean that someone who maybe there's someone who loves your product, two, three, four thousand followers and is highly engaged and really wants to help you out. This is a time to ask. This is a time where maybe two months ago would have been, like I said, insulting to ask. This is the time to ask. But I wouldn't necessarily communicate directly with the the influencer, they are not going to answer the DMs if they don't know who you are. And that's why you bring somebody like myself or like you in to sort of help that connection. So that kind of is a great wrap up statement. Alex, how can people get in touch with you if they are interested in social influencer marketing? Well, the first thing I'd recommend is to go to my website, which unfortunately launched right in the middle (laughs) of this pandemic. I've been doing this for a handful of years, four or five years, but finally get around to putting together a website. So it's just alexlodner.com, A-L-E-X-L-O-D-N-E-R.com. And through that, they can decide if it's something they want to move forward. They can reach out and let me know. And we'll start by talking budget. And I say work with any budget. We can work with, if you want to really have ambassadors come on board and get paid, that's one way to do it. It's a very, very flexible industry and an agile industry, and and we can make something work for you. All right. I love it. And I've enjoyed working with you, Alex, when I've had brands that have needed to connect with influencers and I was only one part of that equation and they needed a little more muscle. You've been great. So thanks for joining us on Makers of Minnesota and helping us understand the whole influencer market and what that looks like for brands and shop local, right, Alex? Absolutely. Always, always shop local. Love local MN is the hashtag that we're working on the campaign right now that you'll see launching over the next couple of weeks. Thanks, Alex. Right. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye.